Almost a year and a half ago, uh, when I joined as the senior pastor of the church, uh, my first sermon, I talked about a phenomenon called murmuration. And some of you remember that, and most of you, I mean, there are a number of people who are new since. So murmuration is an observation from the nature where certain kind of birds flock together and they do a dance with the nature. And you probably have seen this. Uh, you know, close to hundreds and thousands of birds, mainly starling birds, you know, sterling birds, I, I think that's what it's called anyway. And they come together and they, uh, and they split apart and they fuse together and they soar up and they swoop down and they whirl and they twirl and they do this magical dancing. You, some of you have observed this phenomenon called murmuration. The scientists have been studying this using computer algorithms, 360 degree cameras to create different models to see how this is being coordinated because it is still a mystery. They still don't know how they carefully orchestrate this, uh, this mission. Scientists are interested because if we know how they do this, we can organize society in a better way, right? You, if, if we know how the murmuration happens, who gives the signal? Because they can figure out there is seemingly there is no leader giving a signal, but everybody is getting signal and giving signal in some way. We don't know how that is being happening. So the, the scientists are interested because if we know how murmuration really happens, how that signal is communicated to each other, that we can have a better way of organizing the society. And we can even have a better way of organizing the church. So that's why they are studying this. But still, it is a mystery. There are only speculative theories, right? Like I use the word murmuration. To, to really illustrate what the Holy Spirit is doing in a church, bringing a diverse body of believers uh, together to create a, this divine dance. And that is mystery. That is not something we can define, but it is a mystery that we will have to keep on exploring. And ever since, people now send me email. They talk about, Pastor Matthew, I think I can observe a murmuration here in our group. And we should have murmuration on these issues. And now that has become an official vocabulary, uh, inducted into the official vocabulary of, uh, of Lake Avenue Church, which I'm very, very proud of. Now, I'm going to read today two instances in the scripture where there is this murmuration. Because I titled my ser sermon, Murmuration 2.0, okay? That was murmuration in the beginning. Now this is the murmuration 2.0. So I'm going to read two instances from the scripture. One is from the Old Testament, the other one from the New Testament. Would you stand up with me for the reading of the word? The first one comes from the book of Ezra, chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Now when the seventh month came... And the sons of Israel were in the cities. The people gathered together as one man to Jerusalem. Then Joshua, the son of Josadak, and his brothers, the priests, and Zerubbabel, 
the son of Shealtiel and his brothers arose and built the altar of the God of Israel to offer burnt offerings on it, as it is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. The second one comes from, you guessed it, Acts chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's say a prayer. Lord, are we, Lord, we are here to dance with you. This is not where we look at a platform, get directions, write down notes, and go back and try to memorize it, try to do it. No, we are in an eternal dance with you. And teach us the mystery of murmuration. We invoke the presence of the Holy Spirit in this altar so that you will be our teacher, you will explore, you will help us explore the mysteries of the word. In Jesus' name, amen. So, as you know, generally it is assumed that the day of Pentecost is considered the birthday of the church. And the Pentecost is a Jewish festival, and the Jewish people believe that that is the day Moses received the Torah. You remember God speaking to him uh, on, on Mount Sinai and giving him the Torah, the, the Old Testament? And that is the day the law was received according to the Jewish belief. And it's not clearly mentioned in the Bible. So they calculate 50 days starting from uh, Passover and, uh, and celebrate the day of Pentecost of the receipt of this covenant from God. And interestingly, the Holy Spirit chose the same day to give us the new way of doing things. A new body, a new temple, a new law to be established in the spirit. And so on the, in Acts chapter 2, we see a murmuration of uh, around 120 people uh, coming together and sitting there. Actually, when you look at these people, they are completely disillusioned, completely disheartened. The senior pastor, Peter, just denied the Lord. <laughs> And, and the, the treasurer just betrayed the Lord and committed suicide. Now this church is in no place to have a murmuration. Right? You thought Lake Avenue has problem. Now these 120 people had way bigger problem than Lake Avenue ever had it in 128 years of history. But then there was something, in my translation it is not clear, but you all know how it is said. But they came in, they gathered in one accord. They gathered in one accord. Irrespective of what they feel about things, irrespective of what they think about what is happening outside in the society, they were unified in their vision to glorify Christ 
And they had the same vision and the same passion for the Lord. Now that is the secret of murmuration. And that is when the Holy Spirit descended and radically altered everything. They, they were thinking about it and, you know, again the church started. But we are not going to stay there. I want us to come back to the first verse we read, which is from the book of Ezra. Because I've been thinking about what should I preach and what, where is the Lord leading us in this new season? As you know, September is technically the beginning of the church season. What is the message? And the Lord has been consistently leading me to the book of Ezra. When I say Ezra, everybody say Ezra who? Because not, you know, it is not a book that we often read and I've never heard any sermons actually in the last few years, especially from Lake Avenue Church, but I'm particularly keen on, but there was this thematic alignment and murmuration and I had to study it. In some way, I am studying it for the first time in this perspective. Now, what we read here is the building of the Second temple, you know, Ezra chapter 3, the key theme of Ezra is a call for Israelites from their exile to come back, return, and rebuild the destroyed temple. So what we see here, the, the Ezra chapter 3, 1, 2, is where they were not just in one accord, they were together like one man. <laughs> That's even better. It is, it is, they almost lost their identity. Now the, uh, the New Testament murmuration was only 120 people. But here we have roughly 50,000 people. That is the estimate. Roughly 50,000 people gathered, not in one accord, as one man. They're, they kind of lost their identity there because they, their identity was so focused on the altar. They didn't think about their own perception. They didn't think about their own ideology. They didn't think about their own theology. And their, their identity was sacrificed on the altar. They were thinking like one man. And that's how the rebuilding of the second temple happened. Now, you should know the story of the temple when I say, and this is not a Sunday school class, but I'll give you some dates. The, whenever we say the the temple, the Jerusalem temple, we always think about Solomon's temple. Solomon is the one who built the temple. Roughly around 960 BC, King Solomon built the magnificent temple. That's a history. David, his father, was the one who conceived it, but he didn't do it. His son did it, so it is still called the Solomon's temple, the greatest temple ever built. Now, what happened was, Somewhere around 586 BC, a Babylonian emperor, you know, Babylonians invaded Israel and they captured the people and they took them as captives and there are a lot of atrocities that happened. We will get into that later uh, in the series. But the Babylonians came and destroyed that temple in 586 BC and then people were scattered into different communities. Then about 538 BC, the things, there is a Hollywood twist. 
And they get this unexpected note from an unexpected person of all, a pagan king named Cyrus, said, hey, I'm going to ask the Jewish people, all of them, to return to their land and rebuild their temple. And he gives instruction, he gives the budget, he gives money, he gives all the, t- uh, the, the, uh, the, uh, the utensils and everything that he took from the temple, giving back this guy who is basically a Mede, Mede or Persian kind of a king, Cyrus. He's not a Jewish person. He never really acknowledged Jehovah as his personal God, but he still uh, championed this. So that was the edict of Cyrus for the Israelites to return. Now what we are going to study in this series is how they returned in various ways and in various stages and they rebuilt this temple, right? And so finally the temple was constructed. The, the finishing, you know, the, the, the culmination of the temple construction happened in 516 BC. So that's when the, that's what we normally call the second temple, second temple. So we are in the story of the construction of the second temple. We will be covering a time period of 538 BC from the edict of Cyrus to 516 BC, which is the construction of the temple, which is the story of Ezra and Nehemiah. And you will see some prophets like Zechariah and Haggai prophesied during that time. Esther kind of comes in the middle of this story, but her story is not particularly relevant. In, the, in this progression of things. So we will be going through some of these books in the meantime. So that, that I'm just giving you a bird's eye view of what is to come. Now, the reason we are doing this is because there is a striking parallel with what's happening in the book of Ezra and what's happening with us today. Of course, we were not really scattered and we were not captives and we were not exiles, but, but it felt like that in the last three years, Right? And I was talking to this amazing couple here, and uh, they, were, they were saying that they're excited to come back to the church after three years of, of kind of an exile. They couldn't come back. And I, I visited them, and, and they were saying that in the last 45 years, this is the first time a pastor visited us. And, you know, this is what we used to do in India. This is the job of a pastor. That's why I did it. But the, the point is that our community felt so scattered, so isolated, and now it is the call to return and rebuild. And this is a striking parallel. This is exactly what happened almost 2,500 years ago in the book of Ezra. And that is the call which is being issued to us. And that is what we are going to do. And so we have a lot to learn from this. And also last year, I remember this time, what kind of scripture I should speak. And I remember the, the, the voice of the Lord was very clear to me. And we did a series last year, this time called Following the Cloud. I don't know how many of you remember. But Following the Cloud was, you know, it's just like God said, here is a, I'm going to issue a call to murmuration. A call is ambiguous. A call is, is, is vague in a way. You know the Lord is leading you. God is calling you. So you're just going, but you don't know exactly where you are going. That's what the nature of the call. That is how following the cloud worked. But Ezra and the book of Ezra and Nehemiah don't talk about just following an ambiguous thing. Here you see a call with a mission. They knew exactly what they are supposed to do. Everything is very clear. 
God asked them to return and rebuild the temple. There was no ambiguity as to where they should go, what they should do. It was all clearly spelt out. So the first one was a murmuration with a call. And here there is a murmuration with a mission. There is a mission. We have no more excuses for not doing what the Lord has asked us to do, which is to return and rebuild the temple. Now, here is the twist, though. When you say that, you know, return and rebuild the temple immediately, you know, the the picture that comes to our mind is, yes! No disrespect to any political party, but the sound, it sounds like, let's make Lake Avenue great again, right? Like, you know, let's go back to the olden glory days of Lake Avenue. You remember the the Gordon Kirk era where there were supposedly 4,000, 5,000 people. We had multiple services. We had this and we had that. All that magic. Yeah, let's build it back. Let's fill this auditorium with people. Let's do multiple services. Let's take this pipe organ, put video screens and let's let's do disco lights and smokes and you know, that that's, you know. Amen. <laughs> A lot of it is coming from me too. So, <laughs> so <laughs> but there is a very big difference. There are multiple differences between the, the Solomon's temple and the second temple. Well, the first one is obvious in the name itself. The first one was called the Solomon's temple. Right? Whenever we talk about the temple, it's Solomon's temple. Because there was this visionary leader. There was this great man who came up with the resources and he gave instructions. He commissioned the project and we followed him. It was in his name. Which is very much like many churches in America. You know in seminary, it's not like they are teaching us. There is an unofficial, unwritten rule that if you want to go into a church ministry in the Western world, you have to be a star first. You have to make a name for yourself. Now, this is unfortunate. I mean, there's no, you know, but that's an unwritten rule. Because then people will follow you. You will have this many followers in Facebook, this many followers in Instagram, this many followers in, I don't know, Twitter. Now change the name. It doesn't matter. So you need to have all of this. You definitely need to have a website. You definitely need to have a website. I still remember my brother-in-law actually works in the IT field and he does the domain and he was forcing me to take a matthewpjohn.com and I said, I will not do it. I don't want a website in my name. I don't want a Facebook in my name. I don't want anything in my name. I just wanted to be countercultural. This was very difficult back in the days. Now I know it's all, all thing, but back in the days it was difficult. But, he, but then he forced me. He said, what if somebody else take matthewpjohn.com and put a porn site in there? I'm like, whoa, okay, that. <laughs> so I, I bought that domain. He sold it to me. I didn't, I didn't use it. But anyway, the point is that I, I, I own it because just in case, I don't want anybody to put a porn site in MatthewBJohn.com, so I own it. So I paid my money every year to him to keep that. Anyway, the point is that, the point is that we are so used to building the Solomon's temple. Many churches are known after the name of their pastor. That pastor. 
that great guy, which is, which is fine. And the, the, there, are, there are scriptural bases for all of this. But, but the second temple was built by these this people that we never heard of. Like I said, Ezra, who? Zerubbabel, who, who is that? He can't even pronounce his name. And then the, you have Joshua, not the Joshua from the, you know, there is a famous Joshua. This is a very different, not that famous Joshua. And then you have these two prophets, Haggai and uh, uh, what's his name, Zechariah, who are actually called minor prophets. They are not that important, <laughs> minor prophets. <laughs> These are the people who's built the second temple. There was no visionary, visionary leader. There was no person standing in the pulpit and giving instruction. There were, like the word leadership. The point I'm trying to make is the second temple the Lord wants to build is to be a people's temple. The king's temple are done. The first temple was built by a king. But the second temple was built by prophets and priests. Joshua and Ezra are priests. Haggai and Zechariah are prophets. There are no kings. There are no kings. The way we build church using the king's name, the king's money, and the king's clout is done. The post-COVID church, if the church is going to exist, it is to be built by the prophets and priests. What does that mean? You know, what do you mean by priests and prophets? Give you a quick uh, uh, um, definition of what that means in the New Testament time. A priest is somebody who goes to God on behalf of people, right? That's the job of a priest. When you say priest, don't think about the Catholic priest with the big robe, and that's not what I'm talking about. The job of a priest to, is to go to God on behalf of people, and he becomes that intermediary or intercessor for people, right? And a prophet does just the opposite, a prophet goes to people on behalf of God. Thus says the Lord. See, that is a ministry we are all called to do. It's not like you just need a gifting. Yes, there is an element of that. But what is the ministry of a priest? It is essentially intercessory prayer. That is what the ministry of a, of a priest. To go to God, here are the needs of the people. Would you intervene? Now that's what we are doing and I'm very proud of the way that you have really listened to my call last year when I came. We need to create a culture of prayer. Now we have every Wednesdays, we have an intercessory prayer team. We were trying to meet in a smaller place because too many people, now we are meeting in a bigger place at the Ross Room. Every Wednesday starting September 20th, I believe, that Wednesday. So there is, an, there is a focus on prayer and this is coming from you. This is coming from the, from the congregation. I didn't initiate all of this. And then again, another date I want you to mark, November 4th. November 4th is a Saturday. We are calling all the churches in Pasadena and come and pray. We call the event Pray Pasadena. Keep that day, especially the evening in your, in, in your diary so that we can be here praying for our community. Speak to God on behalf of our city, of, on behalf of our country. And this is what the Lord has called us to do. You are the priest who are going to build this temple. Same with the prophet. A prophet speaks to, to people on behalf of God, which is essentially the ministry of preaching and evangelism. 
When you do evangelism, what do you do? You are speaking to people on behalf of God. That is our new initiative. And I want you to remind you of this one program we are doing very successfully. It's called the Alpha Course. I don't know how many of you have heard about Alpha Course, which is an introduction to Christian faith. And our friend Mark Jolie is initiating that even, it's starting from October 1st, Sunday evening. And this is for people who are new to faith, who don't know anything about Christianity. This is a great platform for you to invite your non-Christian friends. There'll be a dinner, there'll be a session on videos, amazing teaching, discussion. It's not, doesn't like, sound like churchy at all. It's a, it's a great platform to introduce, and this is a way of evangelism, bringing people into that kind of program. So I just want you to note what is happening in the community, things like that. This is the way. This is the way we are going to build the second temple. Now, quickly, another thing. See, second temple was actually built for a scattered community not for a gathered community. When you really study the dimensions of the second temple, it is considerably smaller than the first temple, the Solomon's temple. It was not that big. And also when the call was issued, not everybody came back. Only a few people came back. There are a lot of people never came back after that exile because they realized that Jewish people are called to be a scattered community taking the name of the Lord wherever they go. That's why even in a little town in India where I was born, there is a Jewish community, there is a Jewish synagogue in my hometown in India. I went to school with uh, some of the Jewish kids in my class. The reason is because they were such a scattered community and they take the message of Jehovah all around the world. So the second temple was built for a scattered community. So there were three stages of return. I'll just give you the dates too. We'll go into this detail later. When the return call was issued, the first return happened uh, by around 537 BC. 538 is when the edict was issued. Then the first return under Sheshbazar, he was the prince of Judah, uh, uh, appointed by the king Cyrus. And he, under his Leadership, the first return, when we read the story from Ezra chapter 1 to 6. And then you have second phase, another uh, phase of return under this, you will, this was under Ezra personally. And this was 458 BC, around seven chapter, sorry, uh, Ezra chapter 7 to 10 tells the story. Then the third return happened in the book of Nehemiah, under Nehemiah, and you see 445 BC. So these are, the, these are the three stages of return. The point I'm trying to make is that not everybody returned. So the temple was built mainly with the diaspora community in mind. What that means is this is the first time the idea of synagogue really floats around. You know, now when, when you ask, where do Jewish people go to worship? We always say synagogue, right? They go to synagogue for their worship. But there is not even a word called synagogue in the, I mean, there is kind of Jesus went to one. But the idea of synagogue was not in the Torah. God never instructed them to build synagogue. There is only one instruction, that is to build the temple. 
The idea of synagogue happened during this exilic period. This time they realized that we are in a way meant to stay as a scattered community, even though there is a gathered expression of it. Now we know that because a significant number of our attendees are now even now online. They are going to remain that way. It's funny, a significant percentage of our income now is coming from online people who haven't stepped into this building in the last five to six years. They still regularly, faithfully watch the service, become part of our program, and send their tithe on a regular basis. So, so this is a new paradigm. This is a different way of doing the church. This is, this is, we have to get used to this new reality, the way we plan the program and the way we minister to people. The point I'm trying to make here is very simple. Our church is going to do like a, like a paradigm shift in the way we are going to do ministry. What do I mean by that? So let me remind you, uh, refresh your memory a little bit. Uh, three years ago, just before COVID, 2020 January, that time, we initiated, again, some of you were in the church and some of you weren't, so I'll, I'll just refresh your memory. We did something called missional communities. I don't know how many of you remember. A missional community was essentially, or is essentially, a neighborhood gathering. There are people in this church who are coming from different parts of Pasadena and beyond, they have been in this church for years and they never talked to each other, not knowing that they are neighbors. So it was an idea to connect our neighbors laterally so that we can form communities with a missional purpose, not just small groups in a, in a bigger way. So we did this and I'll just show you some pictures of this. So uh, three years ago, can you show that picture, Marcy? Yeah, three years ago, some of you remember. Uh, 2020 January, we, we basically... Uh, categorized our neighborhood like this, and we had a text number, and we asked you to text based on your zone. For example, if you are from Alhambra or San Gabriel, that's where I'm from, that's where I live, then I send number seven. I text number seven to that text number. In the same way, depending on where you are, some people who are kind of away from that whole area, and then they texted the east and the west and the south. Anyway, we did this, and we created a form of community, and unfortunately, COVID came right after, so we couldn't really pursue that a lot, right? And I remember I was in charge of the Alhambra area, Alhambra, San Gabriel area. So we gathered the people from Alhambra, San Gabriel for a boba tea tasting, okay? So this is the thing we do in Alhambra and San Gabriel. That's what you, that's religion there, right? So, so we had around 50 some people of Lake Avenue. So here are some pictures, you know, this, this, you know, I, I still remember walking into this Boba Tea place and, uh, and people of different culture, different age group coming together, especially a lot of young people came and I, I, it was funny to watch the young people teaching the old people how to drink Boba Tea without choking, you know. I've seen the grandparents teaching the grandkids how to drink without choking. Now the grandkids were teaching grandparents how to drink boba tea without choking. And the best part was people were watching. People were asking, what is this? You know, where are you guys coming from? I said, we are from a church. And they said, what do you mean a church? Because church, their understanding is completely different. And they were talking to us. And, and they, the point I'm trying to make is that it became a witnessing tool. 
It was fun. It was community building for us. But more importantly, the people who are watching, it was life-changing in a way. So this is what people do in a church? I didn't know that, you know, this kind of people of different ethnicity and, and, and age group coming together to do something fun. Unfortunately, out in the culture, the perception of church is it's like a killjoy. You go to church and you stand like this and they won't let you smile. And this is, this is church? So I remember that's perhaps one of the best witness events that I ever participated as part of Lake Avenue Church for sure. The point I'm trying to make is that this is what we are called to do. This is how the, how the, the second temple operated. So let me, uh, you know, the idea is, let me go back to how the church is operated now, operating now, current model, is that we have a closed loop, right? Like, so this is, this is a, a model of the church. We have a Lake Avenue Church, 393 Lake Avenue. We have membership procedures. If you are a member, you can vote. And I mean, anyway, we have to study the covenant and all that kind of, so there, there, is, a, there is a very strict closed boundary of who we are. We need to have that. We need to define that. I'm not questioning this. And within which we have small groups. Small groups, one, and then there are adult classes. Then there are young adults group, and there are women's group, there are men's group, and they have a little, little groups meeting within this big boundary. There are closed boundaries again inside this. And if you are not part of any of this group, you will be literally get lost in this big church. I appreciate all of those people who are coming in the balcony and sitting in the dark. And that place is getting bigger and bigger now. More people are coming. And it is so important for you to get into one of the circles. Otherwise, you will be lost. You will be in the dark forever. But that's not the way the church is supposed to be built. Right, so, so what we wanted to do in, for a diaspora community, we are using that model of Ezra. How do we re-envision the church? So if you go to the second picture, this is what my dream. Now right in the middle is a Tesla station, right? I, <laughs> so I want to redefine our understanding of church. Actually, we have this perception, Sunday I want to go to church, I do whatever. No, Sunday is your day of rest. You don't have to do church on Sunday. Church is from Monday to Saturday. Sunday, you come here to rest. You come here to relax. You come here to get charged. So that you can do church from Monday to Saturday. That's the way we are going to do the church. Yes, we still have some boundaries. But this is what we call an extended boundaries. We wanted to, we have our identity in a way. We have certain rules and regulation. We have certain way, guideline in which how we operate. But there is still a dotted line in which we are externally focused. Most of the church programs are internally focused. That's why most of the mega church pastors, and I'm not saying all of them, end up becoming very narcissistic. It is very pulpit driven. It is very difficult to be here every Sunday and not boost my ego because you are all listening to me. Now we need to change that model for my sake. (laughs) So what I'm saying is that the church has to have that extended boundaries in which we do this community in different shapes and forms from Monday 
to Saturday. And Sunday you come here, you are paying me to empower you, to equip you, and to teach you how to do ministry and become part of it. I'll be there with you, and our staff will be there with you. Now, that is a different model of doing the church. And if we learned one thing from COVID, that is that. The church has left the building. The church has left the building. 393 North Lake Avenue will become a ministry center, not just a church. Lake Avenue will be a church that is meeting here. This should become a ministry center. We should use this 24-7. I don't know how, but we should do it. Because God has given us this amazing property, this facility. We should use it on a consistent basis. That's my priority for the next season. I don't know how to do it. I don't know, but you know it. How to turn this into a ministry center so that Sunday morning we come here, get charged, go back into your community, be the church, not just do the church. Now that is the vision of a missional community. So I'm going to bring back the other picture again. Now I'm going to, do, I'm going to ask you to do something which you, I may never ask you to do. I want all of you to take your phone. This will be one chance. Cherish your pastor asking you to take your phone <laughs> while during the sermon. Okay? Now, I want you to identify which area you are from in that picture. And some of you up in the north, it's mountain, but if you are coming from Santa Clarita or something like that, you can identify whichever you want to do. It doesn't mean, man, that you, if, you, if you live in San Gabriel, it doesn't matter that if you want to hang out with some people in Burbank, that's fine too. But what I'm saying is that your neighborhood means, you know, Jesus said, who is your neighbor? Neighbor doesn't necessarily mean the geographical location. So I'm going to let you decide what your neighborhood is. Ideally, it should be your geographical location. And I want to text your geographical location or that neighborhood zone into that number. All of you have one number to text, 626-314-6962, and you will just text that number. If you are from La Cunada, you just text four, that's all. Don't say anything. Don't say thank you, nothing, right? <laughs> so <laughs> just text that number. I believe it is done. So once you do that, now we will contact you. We will contact you with some information, some fun events which we are going to organize in your area. For some of you, if you are not already in our database, it will give, send you a link to fill out some form. Some of you are already a member or already a part of this church. You will just, be, just get a thank you message, so you don't have to. So some people might get a link and some people may not. That means that you are already in the system. That's what it means. Now, since we know where you are, we would really like to come to you with some program. There are three things we want to do, okay? This is where I'm going to close the survey. So, there are three things we want to do. Every quarter, we would ideally like to do three things together in each of these communities. One, pray together. Second, serve together. And third, celebrate together. Pray together, we will organize for each zone a great prayer event. It will be in somebody's backyard, it will be in a public park, but we will give you this information so that you can also meet your neighbors, you can also meet other Christians from this area. Again, don't think that it is exclusively for Lake Avenue. I want the missional communities to be a place where you can invite other people. 
People appreciate if you pray for them. So pray together in each area. We are going to work. Jeff Ross, our director of community formation, is on it. We are working on it. And then the second one is serve together. We will do a serve project in each of the zone, which was the fun thing we learned from Rooted. When we did a serve project together, it brought us together unlike anything else. So we will identify a not-for-profit organization in your area, a charity in your area, so that we can all go and do some volunteer work for them. We can connect to the community. Okay, and the third one is celebrate together, which is what we did. Boba tea tasting. It may not be boba tea tasting for everybody, but you know, Lakanyada people, what do they know about boba tea? You know, so, so they might have to go with the all Starbucks or something, but the point is, <laughs> the, point, the point is, the point is that we will do something really fun, really celebrate together in public. It's okay to have a little fun as a Christian. In, in community and to create some shared experiences together, right? So we are going to organize this. So I hope you all texted your numbers so you will get information. Now, if you don't have this, uh, you know, the iPhone or whatever, the texting system, then you can go to our website. It's very easy. lakecav.org, then backslash MC, missional community. A missional community is a neighborhood group with a mission to become external, to build, to be the churches in our neighborhood. That's what it is, right? And then if that doesn't work, also, if you walk outside the center aisle and there are two tables on both sides. There are volunteers which will be helping you and they will help you to sign up. And there are some paper forms, like good old way, if you want to really give your information that way, that is possible too. The point is that you have no excuse for not being part of a missional community because that is the way we are going to return and rebuild. This is not going to be the Solomon's temple. This is going to be the temple of the priests and the prophets. And you are that people. You are the one who is going to rebuild the temple in a dramatically different way than Lake Avenue or any other church have ever imagined. But for us to do this, we need to invoke the presence of the Holy Spirit. That is very important in the next season. When you read the book of Ezra, I don't have time to go, but you know, in the, in the initial, the book of Ezra starts by saying this repeated phrase in the book of Ezra, the Lord stirred up the spirit. Yeah, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, the king of Persia. And then he say, everyone whose spirit God had stirred up. See, the Lord has to initiate. We cannot do it with our budget. We cannot do it with our capacity. We need to surrender ourselves for the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And Zechariah, the prophet who actually became part of it, said the, the most amazing thing. Zechariah 4, 6 says this. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. The new temple is to be built by the Holy Spirit. And we are called to do a divine dance. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up and help us lead in this divine dance. Let the Holy Spirit reign on us. Let us not look, up, look to a particular leader. Let us not look to the Excel sheet 
to decide how we can do ministry. But let us present ourselves as a living sacrifice to experience this murmuration and a divine dance. Let the Holy Spirit rain down. Amen.